I'm excited as well. Thanks for being here today. I feel like I have to reintroduce myself. It's been like four weeks, and I'm sorry for that. My name is Pastor Jason, lead pastor of Radiant Church, and uh, I'm glad to be here. Pastor Ben and team are on their way because we're going to be doing something a little bit different uh, today, and I'm going to kind of lead into that real quick. But before they get here, I just want to uh, do a couple things. One is just to call you to prayer uh, for those who are part of uh, the Ankeny campus, and I want you to know that we are looking at a couple of properties, uh, talking to a couple of landlords, and looking to try to make a decision maybe in the next month or two, really maybe in the next few weeks uh, on that. So I invite you to prayer. You'll hear more about that, but I hope that excites you. Uh, we are actively working through our strategic plan, and it is our desire to get us out of the FFA Center into a place that we call home very soon on that. I hope that excites you. Yeah, on that. So we're working on that. There's a lot of exciting things going on. We're seeing growth at the Ankeny campus. We're seeing growth at the uh, Pleasant Hill campus. And we're just thanking the Lord for that, that more and more lives are being affected by Jesus and that we continue to want to be a desire and a, or to be a blessing in the communities that we are in. And so we're looking for ways to do that. Thanks for being a part of it. Uh, about six years ago when I became a part of Radiant Church, uh, one of the things they had at the Pleasant Hill campus right as I got there was this thing called a, a Christian yoga class or something like that. I'm not even sure what it used to be called. And um, when I got there, one of the first things that a couple of people came to me to say was, Pastor, we, we don't agree with this. There shouldn't be something called yoga in the church. And uh, so what are you going to do about it? You know, yeah, praise the Lord. Uh, you know, for moments like that. And, and, and so, you know, what do I do? I said, okay, well, let me go talk to the leader uh, of this class and see what's going on with that. And as I, I took her side, I, I just wanted to get a little more information. Like, All right, so tell me about this Christian yoga thing. Do you at any time kind of talk about Eastern mysticism and engage in those teachings? And she's like, no. Uh, you know, and I look at her like, all right, uh, uh, do you quote the yogi? Uh, are there just other things from Buddha and teachings of that sort in this thing? Well, no, no, we don't do anything like that. Okay, um, well, then uh, at any point, are you trying to dive in, try to find your inner self, listen to voices, uh, entertain anything like that? I mean, what's going on in this? She's like, no. And I'm like, so what do y'all do? She's like, we breathe and we stretch, you know? Uh, that's what we do at Christian yoga class. We breathe and stretch. We, we listen to Christian music and we pray. And I'm like, well, that sounds awful. You know what I mean? That, 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 how dare you pray at a church? Uh, it's terrible, but, you know, the ultimate question then became, well, why do you call it yoga then, you know, at that point? And the answer was simple, because people know what it means, you know. That's literally what it came down to at that point, because they just know it's a breathing and stretching class at that point. But it highlights a tension that I want to talk about today, and I've been looking forward to this uh, for some time. And that, that tension is that, that, that we navigate this, these points, these conversations in the church often, and there's many of them. In fact, oftentimes you'll hear me preach, I'll talk about pendulums, and I'll say life is full of pendulum moments, and what do I mean by that? Well, if you're familiar with a pendulum, you know that the ball can go up high one side, and then it goes, and then it goes up high the other side, and it swings back and forth. Eventually, it reaches equilibrium, where we're at perfect tension in the middle. And what I tell the staff all the time and all my leaders is that we constantly live in these pendulum moments. You say, what do you mean by pendulum moments? It's that part of the job of leadership is to weigh two very different sides. See, any subject you get into, there's some people that hold to one very, very strong opinion one way and one very strong opinion another way. How many of you have figured out we, we, we live in a pretty polarized culture these days? People have strong opinions on issues on both sides of it. And one of the jobs of leadership is to try to navigate those strong opinions and find where are we then along the line because not everything falls into those extremes and not everything falls straight in the middle sometimes you have a lean one direction or you have a lean another and we have to discern where do we fall on this pendulum well today we're going to talk about one of those uh, tensions is what i call it and we have a bunch of them in life if you know like like as we talk about hey maybe we're going to navigate a building conversation and move on i, I face a tension constantly as a pastor what is that tension? Do we step out in faith or do we count the cost? Which is it? Anybody that owns a business, anybody that manages one knows that they have to weigh that too. Where's that point between I'm stepping out in faith and I'm trusting God in this moment? And where's that other part that says we are called to count the cost? What general would go off to war without first counting the cost on that? So we have to live in that tension. Where is it? 
What's another tension of, I, I live in? Well, Jesus talked about one when he was talking to the woman of the well. He said, you have to, there's a time coming you will worship me in spirit and truth. And sometimes churches have to wrestle through that one. Well, well, pastor, is it that we worship in spirit or is it that we worship in truth? And the answer is, well, according to Jesus, both and. Because what happens? If you only lean towards the spiritual, you, you can have sometimes some issues with heresy that come in because you don't have enough truth in what you're doing. If you only lean towards truth, you can have a tendency because facts and figures and data it can be cold. You can have a cold faith. You can be a Pharisee. Legalism can slip in at that point. Jesus says you have to worship me in spirit and in truth. There's a tension there. We have to manage. What are some other tensions that we uh, manage in life? I mean, when Pastor Ben is snarky, do you smack him or ignore him? I mean, uh, I mean, which is it at that point? And, and we have to measure that uh, that tension. Today, I want to talk about another tension, and it's a tension that kind of comes up this time of year every year. Let's talk about Halloween for a second. Let's talk about the reality that for most of us, uh, you know, an unusual thing about uh, Des Moines and the areas around is we have beggars night. So tonight is trick or treat for most families in the area. How do Christians engage this holiday? Because remember, we talk about extremes. So on one side of the extreme, it can be, hey, we turn the lights out, we lock the doors and we hide away and we pretend like this holiday doesn't exist. The other extreme is, well, I just go all in and I engage demons and warlocks and magic and all the other things that come with it, or is there a middle ground? I want to talk about that a little bit today, and so what we're going to do that's unusual is I've invited some friends to come forward and, and join me in a panel conversation, and uh, two of those friends that we'll introduce you to here in a second are part of Wellsprings International, and uh, they're the Burks, and they've been friends of mine for over 10 years, uh, and their Wellsprings is now a big part of Radiant Church, and so I'm looking forward to hearing from them because this is the sort of questions they deal with on a regular basis, but I also want to, in a moment, invite Pastor Bob and Pastor Ben to the conversation as well. I want to set some ground rules, though, before I invite them up. The first one is this. I'm not inviting these four people forward because they all agree. In fact, at uh, Pleasant Hill Campus, we saw a couple times where they were pushing and challenge, challenging each other, and I want that. It's wonderful. So I'm not bringing four people up that all are going to say what my position is. In fact, I'm not going to state it at any point during this. My job is to, to lead the conversation. But I want you to engage the tension. The second thing that I want to remind you is this. You may have strong opinions concerning this holiday, and I want to champion you on that. Praise the Lord that you do. But I need you to understand that not everybody in this room shares your opinion. Not everybody is where you're at in this journey. And I want to make sure something at Radiant always stays true. It is not my job to get you where I'm at. It is my job to meet you where God has you, believing that God has you where you are, when he wants you there. And it is my job to walk alongside you in that journey. Can you understand the difference? Okay? We try to make some of where we're at. There's a natural assumption as if I've somehow arrived. And nobody in this room has. Let me correct that one right now. All right? We're all at different places on this journey, and let's honor that in this conversation. The last thing I want to remind you is we're not going to answer this tension or this question today. It's too big. It's too no nuanced for one conversation. However, if you walk away saying, you know what, I've never really thought about that before, or you've got a nugget, uh, something you need to wrestle with in the next week, and God's spoken to your heart, then we have accomplished what we wanted to accomplish today which is to just bring it to the light and have you wrestle with it in prayer and accountability and a community of people because that's what Radiant is all about. And so I'm looking forward to diving into this question. And as we get going, I'm going to invite uh, Brian and Kara Burke forward, if they would. Again, part of uh, Wellsprings of Freedom International in the Quad Cities, would you welcome them to the platform? Amen. This is, uh, as part of Wellsprings, uh, these are, again, questions they deal with on a regular basis. So when we thought about doing this panel, they were the first names to come to mind on being a part of it. And I am so glad that you're here. In fact, it goes a little bigger than that, even. About 10 months ago, you and I were talking on the phone because uh, uh, Moline, where you live, uh, made the national news. Uh, little Moline made the news. And why did they make the news? 
because there was a, now a satanic after-school program or club that was being offered in the area. And uh, so not only do you wrestle with this in Wellsprings of Freedom, you're wrestling with it in your community as well now. And uh, I'm looking forward to kind of diving into some of these issues as well. Uh, would you also welcome uh, forward Pastor Bob and Pastor Ben as well uh, to the panel. Thank them for being here. And somewhere my wife has my set of questions. Oh, she gave it to Pastor wife. Ben. Okay. <laughs> oh, you're not pretty enough, Ben. I'm sorry <laughs> on that. So I'm so glad that you're here. And I'm just going to say, y'all take a moment and wave at everybody because that's going to be the extent of our pleasantries. We have a lot of ground to cover today, and uh, I'm ready to dive in. Y'all ready to dive in as well? Okay. Let's do this. Uh, Simon Sinek is a consultant out there uh, I, I enjoy uh, listening to, reading some of his stuff, and he's always said something that was very impactful in my life. He says, the why drives the what. In other words, don't engage the what if you don't have a clear idea of why you're doing something or why you're here. So let's start there. I think that's a good starting point. Why is this conversation important? Why is this tension we manage real and and why should we be talking about it who wants to start well anytime almost anytime i preach uh or have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with somebody this this name comes up stephen covey uh, and i always recommend this book seven habits of highly effective people uh it's scriptural it's not a He's not a believer, uh, but it's, it's based on scripture. Anyway, um, and I bring that up for this reason. One of the things he talks about uh, is paradigms, is looking at the paradigms that you see the, the world through. And when I preached a couple weeks ago, we talked about paradigms and really those to the lies that we see, uh, examine those. And so um, I think it's good to ask the what rather than just go with whatever we've always believed about uh, this holiday and these kinds of things or whatever we grew up with, stop and look at why do we believe those things and why do we do the things that we do. Yeah, and piggybacking off of that, and we know as followers of Jesus, the Word of God teaches us in Ephesians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Ephesus, reminding us that we're not wrestling with flesh and blood enemies while we live here on earth, but our battle is against rulers and authorities and against powers of this dark world and against what he calls spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And he calls us to stand firm and put on this armor of God that he talks about so we can stand firm against the strategies and schemes of the devil. And what Paul is equipping the believers in the first century is equipping them for spiritual warfare by saying there's this thing called spiritual conflict that you and I as Christ followers live between a material and a, and a spiritual world, between a natural and a supernatural world. And it's a time of year like this at Halloween time when it's a really good time, very timely, to raise awareness about the reality of the spirit world and how it affects us as Christians and non-Christians. So I think that's a good why answer to, mm -hmm. to the question. Yeah, I would, I would jump in and say, like, I think this conversation is important, kind of almost on the flip side, because, like, absolutely spiritual warfare is real and it affects us. Um, but I think the church has just sort of, like, approached this from sort of a, you know, don't do anything at all. Everything is bad. Everything is wrong. And that sent a message, I would say, to my generation and, and beyond. That's basically the kind of like why you didn't you didn't take the time to really explain like what it is we're actually against and, and why. So I think like the, this conversation is good because it allows us to have a little bit of a thoughtful approach to and and maybe just ed educate, but also just really think through it a little more. I don't know. Um, so that's why I'd say it's important. And I think that as believers, one of our questions is, who am I, right? And we are children of God. That is who we are. That is our identity as followers of Christ. Because of that, we're citizens of heaven, right? That's where we belong. And so our question always is, how do we live that out in the world, right? That's what we're here for. That's why we come to church, is how do we live this out when we go out of this space? And so we, as believers, are called to be holy, set apart, right? But we're also called to be sent. And so if that's the question, we constantly need to wrestle with these types of questions. Why do I do what I do? How do I interact with the world around me in a way that brings Christ wherever I go? I love it. All right, so now that we've discussed the why, let's head into the what a little bit. 
but again, I'm still trying to avoid that, that question of where's the line uh, on that. And so I think I want to understand what are some principles that we need to know if we're going to engage this conversation or live in this tension uh, between what I call maybe the, the, the secular and the sacred, uh, maybe f uh, for use of that language. How then do we, uh, what are just some principles that we keep in mind as we engage the culture with this? Uh, I would start with this uh, two-part two answer. Uh, Deuteronomy 7, God tells the Israelites that when you uh, enter the land of promise, when you start this new life uh, in, in Christ for us, when you start this new life, he says there are things that you shouldn't do. Uh, don't intermarry with those people who are currently inhabiting the land. Don't worship like they do. Don't adopt their customs. Don't do the things that they do because if you do, the likelihood is very great that, that you'll be pulled away from worship to God. And so that's a black and white. Now, the way that gets lived out in the real world here at street level where you and I live is Romans says this. It says, uh, talking about those who are a little stronger in their faith, those who are a little weaker in their faith, it says that each man must be convinced in his own mind. And so um, there are things that, that I probably not probably I do do today or participate in that I wouldn't have when I was a little younger Christian and I wasn't quite, a, quite as mature. There are things I don't do today, maybe in the years to come I will do, uh, but each man must be convinced in his own mind. Yeah, I would say, you know, one of the guiding principles comes from the Apostle Paul and church in Corinth, right? They were dealing with an issue where some were like, yeah, it's okay to eat meat sacrificed to idols, and others were like, yeah, don't do that. That's not good. And what I, to paraphrase, but Paul's essential point is, look, there's there's liberty in the church, especially when we dialogue with our brothers and sisters. Like you said, some people's faith is stronger, some is weaker, um, but we certainly don't want to do anything to cause our brother to stumble, right? So 1 Corinthians 8, I'll just read it. It says, be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights, which is an interesting way to put that, uh, does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge eating in an idol's temple. Won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? Then he kind of concludes with 13. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. So his whole point is it's less about the meat. The idol isn't what has power, right? It's Jesus says it's not what goes in that defiles you, but it's about the keeping the unity of the, the faith with brothers and sisters in Christ for the purpose of love and certainly not doing anything that would cause a brother or sister to sin. So that plays itself out in lots of different ways, yeah. I would say. Yeah, and there's two principles I would share. One is, is going back to our identity as God's children. When we come to faith in Christ, we are given this new identity in him. So in a place such as Ephesians chapter 5, Paul the apostle writes, you were no longer darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Therefore, live as children of light. And so there's this idea of separation from darkness. And we're being brought out of darkness into the light of Christ, and our lives are supposed to reflect that. We're no longer supposed to dabble in dark things anymore that can lead us back into spiritual darkness. It's a great principle. But a second one I would share, looking at the life and ministry of Jesus in the Gospels. Jesus didn't avoid the culture. He missionally engaged it, and it's what I call missional engagement, where Jesus went to a wedding in Cana of Galilee. He, he ate in the homes of tax collectors and sinners and was heavily criticized for it, but he engaged people where they were at in order to bring them out of darkness into light, and that's where we as a church need to be, not afraid of the culture, not avoidant of the culture, but engaged with it in the name of Jesus. I think those are two good principles. Yeah, it's kind of like to, Paul said, to the Jews, I become like the Jews, right? Like, I become all things to all people so that I might win some, right? Bring them out of the darkness. So. I think for me personally, getting practical, right? How did this play out in my life? So as I, I did not grow up in the church, I didn't even know, like, there's a controversy about Halloween. I didn't know that. <laughs> so uh, I just, like, you know, came into this not knowing that. And as I grew in my faith, just like, you know, we're blind now we see like that was kind of my journey with Christ but it's also been my journey with spiritual warfare I was blind I didn't even know it existed I didn't know there was anything that was dark about those things and as I became a believer and started to grow in my faith I, my eyes were open to a few things a little bit right and I realized oh this might not be good 
And then I learned a little bit more, and I realized, wow, that's opening me up to spiritual harm. Why would I want to do that? Yeah, so as I grew and as my eyes were open to that more and more, I realized this is something maybe I don't want avo- avo- to avoid because why would I open myself up to spiritual harm just for the sake of entertainment? So I think that's something, to, as we talk about this issue, to you know, and engaging people in that, that just realizing that we're on that spiritual journey and giving people the space to recognize that in their own time as they grow in their faith. Mm-hmm. I love it. So there's definitely another tension built in here, which is the, uh, we've talked about before, uh, in the world but not of the world sort of question here. And, you know, I told a story at the last uh, service to kind of highlight that a little bit, and that was, I was in a church once where a guy was in jail for about six months because of repeated DWI, DUI uh, offenses. And uh, what was so interesting is uh, the family attended the church, and when he got out of jail, they threw him a keg party. You know, and, and you know, and that's that tension because I'm like, well, does the Bible teach you know complete abstinence from alcohol? It does not uh, teach that. But do I think throwing a guy that's been in jail for six months for alcohol a great idea to throw him a keg party coming out? Probably not. Uh, I I don't think it would be. And so it just highlights that tension on that. Uh, The next thing I want to bring your attention to, you saw a number come up on the screens over here. And uh, at the end of this, we'd like to take uh, maybe a couple questions that we get from folks. Maybe you have an aha moment at some point during this, and there's a question you would love to see the panel engage. Uh, Text that question, if you could, to that number right there. We've got people monitoring it, and we'll take a couple of the most popular ones. And if we have a few extra, maybe we'll find a way this week to, to get some answers out on that. All right, so let's dive into the one uh, that, that it's really gets muddy right here. Uh, this, this is where the fun begins uh, on this question. Uh, what I'd say, here's where the rubber hits the road uh, on this moment. And Bob, I'm going to pick on you. Um, <laughs> a, because it's fun. Um, <laughs> but, but B, uh, it's interesting. About six weeks ago, uh, you gave a great sermon, but there were some things you mentioned kind of at the end of it, things we should avoid uh, in life. And one of them you mentioned was uh, Dungeons and Dragons on that. Uh, And I didn't think much of it, but a couple other people I talked to did uh, on that. You know, and and there were just some people like, really, is it bad? Or, you know, that's something I play now or that's something I played as a kid. I mean, it really caused some great questions in that sense. And and I think that's a a great example. Uh, Ultimately, we're asking this question. So where's the line, right, at the end of the day? Where's the line between the sacred and, and the secular? I mean, uh, for instance, uh, is Harry Potter wrong? How about Lord of the Rings? How about Hocus Pocus? Was it bad? And the answer is yes, but not for the same reasons we're talking about today. <laughs> it was really bad. Uh, I mean, it stunk. Uh, really, uh, you know. But uh, how do we determine what we engage and what we avoid? Where's the line? Well, I will uh, respond to the Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> thing here from my friend Ben. Um, he would be one of the two. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so, you guys know me. It's probably no surprise that I've not played a second of Dungeons and Dragons in my life. Um, it's a yeah. Um, but after 27 years with Teen Challenge, I've talked to a ton of people who have. Uh, some have dabbled in it a little bit here and there. Some have made a living at it just uh, full-time. That's what they did. Um, and across the board, here's, here's what I've heard over all these years, is several things. Um, I wish I wouldn't have spent so much time in fantasy, in darkness. Uh, I'd be a lot better off if I hadn't exposed my mind, my eyes, my senses to the dark images, uh, to the role-playing. Uh, to the warfare. I mean, we live in the real world, right? Live no lies. That's been our current series. Christian life is a warfare. You don't need to play a game to experience warfare. Um, But that's what I hear across the board is um, I wish I wouldn't have spent so much time in that. And so that'd be my response to the dungeons. Well, I have a response to you, Bob. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, made him, I made him cry in Pleasant Hill. No, I'm just <laughs> Well, no, like, I, I completely agree with uh, certainly, like, the amount of time we spend engaging in those things. And I certainly agree that there absolutely can be a spiritual power of fantasy and escapism and wanting to, you know, get out of this world and into some realm. Like, there is actual power there. Um, and so I, I hear that, you know, for me... Um, first of all, I don't let anyone attack my precious Lord of the Rings. So, Jason, to answer that question, no, just kidding. But, but I will say, like, 
and D and D players would say like it is it is good trying to conquer evil. That's what those campaigns are about. Same thing with Lord of the Rings. I would say it's one of the most redemptive fiction works out there. I mean, it points to Christ and so many different facets. And even though it does have witch kings and you know all of that, um, but but it's the the point behind it. And I think it raises the question of like, okay, what things, especially entertainment, actually holds spiritual power, right? I saw I saw a video. Um, you know, we're talking about fiction here, but I saw a video where a famous uh, theologian was essentially saying, you know, do not let your kids trick or treat because there's a chance that like witches have cursed the candy, and then when mm. your kids eat it, and I was just like what? <laughs> you know, like, I've never heard that in my life. Yeah. Maybe, right? Like, I'm, I'm a learner. I, I hear you. You, you have more experience than, than I do, but this is kind of what I'm getting at. Like, when the, when the church comes in and just says, hard ban on everything without getting in the nuance of, like, you know, what are we actually talking about? What things actually hold spiritual power? Does a piece of Snickers, you know, hold spiritual power or not, you know? Th- so, there's nuance there, in my opinion. I don't know. Yeah, just case in point, um, me, again, just telling my own story in this. So when I was younger, I remember we weren't a believing family, but we went to a VBS, Vacation Bible School, at a local church. And I remember that after the after there was a pastor and he, and he spoke on the issues um, of, it was all spiritual warfare. And at that time, of course, I'm dating myself here, it was on backmasking. Do you guys remember backmasking, the mm-hmm. whole controversy about that? It was like when you play music backwards, it says, like satanic things <laughs> and there was uh, a th- whole thing about cabbage patch kids and all this stuff and i was like what for me it was pokemon right yeah yeah, yeah right, right right whatever it was in the and day. you just aged yourself yeah. that way. <laughs> <laughs> i know i know i said I'm so but for me what happened then as i remember my parents said we're never going back to that church and so for me i think it just case in point this is i think where you have to walk the line as as a believer and just saying where do we want to avoid darkness and not enter, like, put ourselves in that space, but at the same time, not being so judgmental towards people that maybe aren't in that space yet or w- don't know anything about those things. I think it's important to walk that line. Yeah, I think that's good. Uh, you may remember if you've read the Gospel of John, in John 17, Jesus prays for his disciples. He says, Lord, I don't pray that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. It's this principle in the world, but not of the world. And going back to something you referenced, uh, Bob, back in the Old Testament, one of the things you'll read as you read scripture, both Old and New Testaments, is witchcraft and occult practices are as old as the Bible. Uh, These things have been going on for thousands of years in every culture of the world, by the way, not just here in, in America. But if you look at a place such as Deuteronomy chapter 18, when God expressly forbids these practices, and he says to the Israelites, let no one be found among you who practices witchcraft or sorcery, who communicates with the dead or seeks out mediums or spiritists, you are to be holy to the Lord. God is not being mean there. He's not being restrictive. Too many people today feel like God is spying on our freedom. He's, trying, he's being too restrictive. You see, God understood the reality of the spirit world and the spiritual consequences of what happens in our lives when we open up spiritual doors to darkness. So, in other words, God's commands, as I view them, as I see them in Scripture, are like the white picket fence that God builds around our property for our protection, for our good. Or use a sheep pen. The shepherd, our chief shepherd, Jesus, keeps us inside the fold, the sheepfold, for our protection, to protect us from dangerous wolves. Outside, If we venture outside the fence or outside the pen, we enter into spiritually dangerous territory. So by not practicing and engaging in these things, in witchcraft and the occult, we are spiritually protecting ourselves. And that's a really good principle at work for us as Christ followers. Yeah, and to follow up on that, Psalm 118, uh, I run in the path of your commands for you set my heart free. Within those boundaries, there's total freedom. And I want to highlight a question I asked the last one because Kylie even asked me on the way here. And it was interesting. And kind of, I, I asked you in a fun way because one of the words that gets thrown into that witchcraft, occult, uh, the dead, you know, all that magic gets thrown into this one. And, and I want a clarification here. Did Satan create magic? Yeah. <laughs> so we talked about this in the last, the last time, but um, Satan has no power to create. Only God has power to create. Satan is a created being, right? He was a fallen angel who fell from heaven. 
And so because of that, we have to remember that God alone is creator. If you think about the even the story of creation, if you've seen like movies about creation, it almost looks like magic, like God, poof, there is the world, you know? And so it's kind of like this idea of magic, but it is not anything that, God, that Satan has the power to create. Only God has power to create that. If Satan was equal with anybody, it'd be like the archangel Michael, right? Because Michael is also an angelic being, but he has no power to create in that way. He only has power to pervert what is created by God. And I'll just add to that what, what goes with that conversation because he is a created being is, you know what, we'll talk a lot about when we talk about Harry Potter and we talk about Lord of the Rings. And all these are just classic stories. Take Star Wars. I, I hear Ben's watched that before. Um, uh, you, take, you take those. They're just classic stories of good versus evil. But I do want to remind us of this. The Christian uniqueness in that story is we don't believe they're dualistic. We don't believe that good and evil are equal opposites of each other. We believe that good has overcome at the cross and through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so evil has no power over us. And that's one clarity we need to remember during this holiday. Well, I think we're going to take a couple minute break maybe here. I'll make, turn it over to you for just a, a moment on that. We're just going to take a little interlude, allow them to get something to drink. And then we're come back and I want to ask a couple more questions. Maybe we'll engage a couple tech questions if we could on that. If that's all yeah. right with you. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, yeah, so you guys can be dismissed. Give it up for them yeah. right now. Yeah, they're doing a good job. Appreciate that. Um, yeah, we, we want to thank you. Do uh, text what questions you have right now. is a good opportunity to do that uh, as we take a little break here. And then the kids are going to be coming in here in just a moment. I think uh, someone's grabbing to get those. But we have a couple things that we want to celebrate here today. Uh, and first off, so far we have something called Partnership at Radiant Church. And this is sort of our version of leadership here at the church. Or, uh, sorry, our version of membership, which is a leadership step. And so far, I think we have said we've had over 50 people who have already completed that in the last how long? Year? Six, six months. Six yeah. months. So praise God for that. Yeah. It's been really, really yeah. cool to, to see that. Um, yeah, if you call Radiant Church home, we highly encourage you to, to check out Partnership. I think there's another one maybe in the new year. Is that right? Or coming up here? We're doing one now for you. For me, yeah. For the staff. For the staff, that's right. We're currently walking the whole staff through that, so it's really, really exciting. Um, yeah, we did our fall celebration uh, last week. I think that was last Saturday. We all went to the Apple Orchard, and uh, it was a lot of fun getting to celebrate, kick back, enjoy the fall season, have a bunch of fun, and so uh, we really enjoyed that. Thank you for uh, coming out to that. And uh, yeah, we're going to have the kids come in here in just a moment because they have costumes. So uh, we're excited for that. Uh, quick word there, and I don't know if they're ready. If they are, just send them in here whenever they're ready. But quick word, we have trunk or treat right after the service today. And so even if you didn't decorate a trunk or even if you didn't, you know, you aren't ready to participate in that, please come and just hang out. We're going to have a bounce house out there. And, uh, and so it's a great opportunity just to get to know some other people here at Radiant Church. So we encourage that. So please come on out, do the trunk or treat. Um, we'll give some announcements at the end as well, but I'll just throw this in there because I'm partially stalling for the kids. Uh, <laughs> little disclosure. Uh, but hey, we are, we are definitely looking for more volunteers in almost every one of our areas here at the church. For instance, we could use about three more people helping set up. It's an eight o'clock thing. We come together. There's a real team effort, team spirit. There's the definite, definite immediate need to help in kids ministry, uh, to do a teaching role or just an assistant role. We're looking for more people to help with first impressions, setting up and doing coffee and things like that. So we never want to give the impression that like, nope, we're good. We've got all of our bases covered when it comes to serving. Hey, if you call Radiant Church your home, please consider, please consider serving. Please come talk to me. Uh, talk to our kids, ministry leaders, worship leaders. There's an absolute need. Encourage you that. Would you guys please help me welcome the kids as they come right here to the forward with their cute little costumes. We had to celebrate them. All right. Keep it, keep it going. Keep it going. You guys are doing great. Oh, we've got amazing costumes. I love the hat. Looking good, guys. Pajama party. Looking awesome. Spider-Man there. Ooh, is that Godzilla? Amazing. Classic. Go for it, man. All right. Pa is that Paw Patrol? Is that Paw? Ooh, someone's not happy. I get it, man. It's scary coming up here. 
I know all these people. It's freaky. You're doing a great job. Hey, good job, guys. You're doing great. Oh, they are adorable. Oh, my goodness. This is the cutest one right here. Little shy, understandably so. Mickey Mouse, you're adorable. Is that Wally? Oh, my goodness. Last but not least, we got Minecraft, I think. Way to go, guys. Hey, can we thank our volunteers, thank our kids? And I'm going to invite the team to come on back up for our discussion questions. Thank you guys so much for doing that. Team, you can come up and have a seat. Uh, man, that was cute. So another incentive to stick around for Trunk or Treat because it's adorable. So uh, we encourage that. But do text your questions there. We want to we know, all right, what's, what's actually going to be helpful for you guys to hear from us. And if you text us and we answer those questions, that's off the cuff. We had no time to prepare for that. So little incentive there uh, to go from there. So I'm gonna hand it back over, over to Jason, if I could. Very cool. Well, let's, uh, I don't, uh, let's turn the corner a little bit on this conversation and uh, let me read this whole question out. Uh, recent studies and news reports seem to can indicate that there's a huge boom in uh, new age beliefs, the occult, witchcraft and magic uh, recently. Uh, in fact, there's been more than 31 billion views on Witch Talk, which I'm not all that familiar with. Uh, but the one that caught my attention is the number of Americans who identify with Wicca or paganism has risen from 134,000 in 2001 to nearly 2 million 20 years later. So there's been a significant rise and increase in this area. Uh, so I have a couple questions for y'all. Why do you think there is such a newfound interest uh, in the occult and witchcraft? And uh, are you alarmed by these numbers? I'll kick us off. So I, I think, like, first of all, somehow witchcraft became trendy. Uh, and for even if people aren't, like, really trying to dabble in the dark arts, there's still something appealing about that, which I find fascinating. And then commerce came into it, and people have been profiting off of it. So you're seeing more and more... Uh, more and more witchcraft stores pop up and selling, you know, witchcraft goods. Now, I I'm going to speak. I'm not speaking to anyone in particular, especially those who are, you know, dabbling in that. I'm not. My goal isn't to like condemn or shame you personally, but I also think something about like witchcraft and something about being able to conjure up your own power. Um, is extremely relevant to our culture's message today. The idea that you can be unique and stand out and you don't have to have, you know, authority over you and you can have, you know, power from within coming out um, is very much sort of on brand with our culture's messaging today. I, honestly, I think there's something almost, almost narcissistic about it. There's almost something... Um, kind of look at me part of that. And I'm not saying that everyone yeah. who's dabbling in that I, is I want to be the that. me that I want to be. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like yeah. I, want, I want the yeah. spiritual power, yeah. but certainly not from organized religion, right. right? And so we think that when people are abandoning organized religion that they're running to secular atheism or rationality and science. What we're seeing, though, is that they're, a, a huge chunk of them are running to spirit, spirituality, new age, and occult, which is, I, it's a yeah. fascinating phenomenon, in my yeah. opinion. I think it's really a perfect storm where Satan, our spiritual enemy, is now working within. So you have our population is less and less churched here in America. And at the same time, you still have this deep spiritual hunger and a desire to connect with the supernatural, with the spirit world. And we have more and more people seeking for God and spiritual power outside the walls of the church, which makes it right for them to discover these other spiritual practices. So in our ministry at Wellsprings of Freedom International in the Quad Cities, we have a number of volunteers who serve in our ministry today who before coming to Christ were psychic readers, tarot card readers. They made a lot of money doing those things as a profession. They were part of channeling groups or Reiki masters or the, these new age healing arts. They will tell you they were searching for something, but they ultimately didn't find it. They found it ultimately in Christ and in a relationship with Christ, and they serve in our ministry today. But that was the draw. That was the pull and the tug on, in their lives. And I think there's many people in our culture. And if you look at now, is sort of the peak season. If you look at the calendar year, October, sort of the peak season for witchcraft in the United States with the approach of Halloween tomorrow. So many of you are familiar with the Salem Witches in Massachusetts. It's called the Center for Witchcraft in the United States. You can look on Google, search when you get home. You can see all these events happening in Salem all October long leading up to tomorrow's Halloween celebration. And so uh, it very much is a thing, especially in the fall this time of year. So this is a really healthy conversation for, for us to have as a church. 
I think, too, this goes back to, again, that Satan does not have power to create, but it, he perverts. Absolutely. And so I think it is. It's this God. We all have this God-shaped hole right inside of us. We're searching for God. But I think instead of us going towards God, Satan comes in and he tries to pervert that and make us hungry for things that are not of God to mm -hmm. fill the hole. And so I think it gets people trapped in that cycle and they want out of it. Uh, I've talked to a few people who um, were investigating Christianity. They weren't sure. They were looking for something spiritual. They didn't know what. Uh, and one guy in particular, I remember I came back uh, a couple months later. I saw him. Uh, where did you land? He landed on Native American um, worship. And I said, well, why would you choose that? Uh, and when he told me his answer, I understood he was looking for permission. The permission he wanted was the worship consists of sitting around smoking peyote. Okay, that's not Christianity. It's not. And so uh, I want to get to the practical nature of this question, too. And, and I do want to clarify something every single one of them are saying so that you know. When we look out there at uh, the millennials and we look at Gen Z, what all the, I'm a data guy, and so what the data is clearly showing, and we need to be just cautious of that, it's not showing that they're, uh, millennials in particular are abandoning the church for nothing. Actually, what all the data shows is these next two generations are more spiritual than every other generation in front of them. So they are looking for something, and I want us to more and more explore and, and entertain the idea that that's opportunity for us, uh, not a bad thing. But do understand, they are a very spiritual generation. They're just not Christian, and that's what we're seeing. We're seeing the abandonment of the Christian church, not spirituality in our culture today. Yeah, so, yeah, they yeah. want something real, right? Yeah. And as believers, like, we have the realest thing, the power of the risen Christ and the Holy Spirit living within us, right? And so I completely agree. There's enormous opportunity to be like, let's give them the Spirit, you right. know? Right. Um, yeah. So with all that in mind, uh, how do we engage a conversation then with somebody who maybe is uh, entertaining uh, thoughts about witchcraft, the occult, any of these things? Uh, just practically speaking now, uh, what are some do's and don'ts? in that conversation? I think there's two things I generally go back to. One is starting with scripture, the word of God, which is our true north on our compass. Uh, we always want to point people to the truth found in God's word and some of the principles we've just discussed as a group. Secondly, the power of stories, real life stories of people uh, who have been and dabbled in the occult, in witchcraft, who are very caught up in bondage to spiritual darkness. Uh, for example, we led a Wellsprings mission team down to the country of Haiti uh, several years ago. Many of you, if you've been to Haiti on a short-term mission trip or know Haitians who have immigrated to the U.S., it's a very spiritually dark land because of the voodoo religion, witchcraft, uh, that is practiced there by almost every Haitian family. So we were conducting a, a training conference for 70 Haitian church leaders and pastors in Haiti about five years ago, and many of them had come out of voodoo families or voodoo backgrounds where mom or dad was a voodoo priest or priestess. Uh, many of them had been dedicated to voodoo while they were children and had come to faith in Christ as adults. Now they're studying to be pastors, really remarkable stories. And they would tell us during the training, they would take us aside, Pastor Brian, can I talk with you? And they would tell me their story, how in Haitian culture there is sort of a rite of passage when a uh, boy turns 18 years old and then officially becomes a man within the voodoo religion. They go through this ceremony that the family performs for them. And so this, uh, when this particular man turned 18, his dad drove him into the mountains of Haiti. His whole family was gathered there. They had the fires, the drums, the chanting, the ceremony. And this 18-year-old boy was forced to drink a cup of human blood dedicated to voodoo. And here he is, real all these years later, he found a relationship with Jesus, but realized he needed to be delivered from all these demons that had inhabited him from that dedication. And so stories like that are hard to argue with, to show about the spiritual dangers of this of the dark side, and that's, that is really helpful. But I get to interrupt you now because we're highlighting another tension here, and that's the tension of do you believe in that stuff? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Talk yeah, to me about that for a minute, somebody. We call it worldview blindness. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be glad to speak to it, but I'll give you guys a chance. Yeah. Yeah, yeah well, I, I mean, for me, I mean, I, this has been an eye-opening journey. I think even for me that I've been on the last uh, one year to two years is the idea of like, Again, I, the way I phrased it a couple weeks ago when I preached was like, can the enemy, can the literal devil actually influence my thoughts, behaviors, whatever? In other words, does spiritual darkness um, have the ability to influence or affect 
even a believer, right? And so for me, it's just been a learning journey. So when I hear stories like that, when you're hearing real testimonies, it's like, there, I would, honestly speaking, there was, a, there was a long season where I would meet all those with just an enormous amount of skepticism and be like, come on, like what? But now, just, again, this is my journey. This is um, how I, God's been transforming me is to say, like, I believe that. I'm like, like because you've seen so much in your, in your experience. I would say that um, my out of college, my very first business trip, um, and I was not a not a believer, but my very first business trip, I traveled alone to another city, and the whole time I was traveling, I was thinking, you know what? I'm away from home. I'm away from my wife. I can nobody knows me. I can do anything I want, and I had ideas about what I wanted to do, and I thought, you know, wouldn't it be something if when I got there, um, when I landed in this city, the thing that I want was like delivered to me that would be just crazy and I got into my hotel room and it was there and I, I, I was all alone and I said out loud I said the devil is real because while I was traveling wouldn't it be cool if that thing was there at the same time that'd be weird I don't know about the spiritual warfare thing but at that moment I knew yeah. it's real you know, we're on the campus of a community college, right? And I, I, we, we have this idea of in North America, we really struggle with what I call worldview blindness. We grow up in our educational system with this scientific, naturalistic, materialistic worldview where we exclude the supernatural out of everyday life. But you go overseas to Africa, Latin America, Asia, Eastern Europe, where our family lived for 12 years as cross-cultural missionaries. They get it. They believe in the reality of the spirit world. We have to spend so much time arguing theology here in the United States, and the North American church really struggles with belief in it when the majority of the world's Christians are saying, what's wrong with you Americans? Why can't you wake yeah. up and see the reality of the spirit world? They live in fear of it. And so uh, in many cultures where we've done training conferences, I'll, raise, uh, I'll ask the participants to raise their hand. How many of you have had a personal encounter with a demon? Almost every hand goes up in the room. It's that real. If I were to ask you that same question, maybe I'd get one or two hands here in the room. And that's just because we're not trained and taught to see it in Scripture, even though Jesus spent half of his ministry in the Gospels casting demons out of people. But we hardly hear about it in the church, and that's, that's a travesty to me. So yeah. I'm gonna, oh, yeah. I was going to say, let me ask one, because it probably tie into one, one question that ties in with all that, because here I have four of the best team leaders that I know of for Wellsprings. Uh, and, and so let me ask you in your experience as you've done freedom sessions, toying with some of these things. Mm. Let's take Ouija, for instance. That's a fave uh, out there. Uh, but uh, sometimes Masonic things come up. Uh, Bob, you talked about Dungeons and Dragons a bit ago. What's the danger of toying with these things? Yeah, I, this is something that we encounter frequently in freedom sessions, actually, mm -hmm. is when people have dabbled in these things, it becomes like an open door for the enemy to come in and begin lying to us and begin tormenting us, right? So um, we, I, I think about a story that, that Brian often shares in, in training, and um, you know, this young man came in for a freedom session. He's 35 years old, right? He comes in for a freedom session. And the discerners, people who have this gift of discerning spirits, talked about in scripture, all were sensing like this person was just surrounded with a cloud of darkness. Mm -hmm. And so they said, um, you know, they were like trying to figure out what was going on. And so Brian just felt prompted in his spirit to ask, you know, what is it that, you know, have you ever dabbled in your past in something dark, occult? And he said, oh, yeah, I used to play with a Ouija board. And so he, when he was young, he went through a rebellious period in his life, and he went to a party, and they had a Ouija board. And so they, the, the guy who was hosting the party said, hey, let's summon this spirit. Mm. So they all got together in this room, and they summoned the spirit. And you know what? The spirit appeared, and it freaked them all out. Here's these 18-year-old boys, and they're all freaked out by this. And this really a spirit of fear came over him. And till that point on, he dealt with fear um, because of what happened to him. So is it real? Yes, it is real. Um, the real spiritual. Is there a very real danger then in toying with these yes. things? Yes. Yeah. 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 So Hebrews says that uh, when we show hospitality uh, to others uh, in doing so, some have entertained angels without being aware. I think on the flip side, <laughs> we can toy with some of these things and entertain demons without being aware. And uh, one of my favorite authors is a guy by the name of Watchman Nee, and he says, if you want to know whether a thing is right or wrong, 
just look at it at its first or second degree. And the principle is, if you extrapolate it out to 100 degrees, it'll be way off. If mm. it's just one little degree off at the first degree. And so we look at some of these activities uh, and think, now, where might be the logical conclusion for this thing? It's so in, in conjunction with this question, one came in uh, from the text messaging, and it said, what about uh, visiting a psychic? or engaging psychic, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, and they and first of all, thank you for sending this yeah. in. I think it's from online, so brave question. And yeah. they were actually asking even personally, like what if you've seen that? What if, you, what if I've done that? Um, what are the repercussions of something that, that's happened in the past? So thank you for that question. Yeah, in our ministry, and by the way, tomorrow evening, Carol's here. There's an orientation class, 6.30 at the Pleasant Hill campus. If you've dabbled or participated in any of these things and you're sitting here and the Holy Spirit's kind of tugging at you, there's good news. There's freedom from all of this. Amen. Okay, There's freedom and healing Amen. available from all of it. You don't have to sit there in fear or be afraid. There are things we can do that can open up the door to demonic influence. There are things that can be done to us, such as abuse and rejection and things like that. There are things we can inherit from our families of origin uh, that can be passed down to us spiritually from our ancestors. Uh, and so those are... There's a list of seven things we teach that can open up the door to demonic activity in our lives. But we have many, as I mentioned earlier, who used to actually be psychic readers or we used to consult them. I have an aunt in my own family who would regularly consult a psychic reader to have some level of control over her own future, over her destiny. It was knowledge of the future that she was asking. But it was interesting. I could visibly see she's not a Christ follower, so she was drawn to that. But she, uh, I could visibly see the change in her life over a 10-year period. She became angrier, bitter, resentful, more hateful, would yell more at family events. There was no fruit of the Holy Spirit evident in her life. And so I could see how that drew her further and further away from Christ rather than closer to Christ. So that's just a practical example of what had the spiritual consequences when we engage in that. Is there any others that came in? Yeah, one question was just about like Freemasons. Like what do we, what's the church's view on, on that? I don't have a ton of formulated thoughts other than allegiances, but any thoughts on that? Oh, no, let's hear from you. I, I know what the Wesleyans think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we believe that Freemasonry is a cult, and we have seen the spiritual darkness that exists in that. This comes up in a lot of freedom sessions, actually, in, um, that we encounter, mostly because of the lot of secrecy, again, Think about this idea that Brian shared about being people of the light. Anything that's done in darkness is not of God, right? And part of our healing process, actually, as believers, comes when we bring things to the light. So if a lot of things in the Masonic um, teaching is very secretive. It's a secret society, and so things are done in secret. A lot of dedications, vows, uh, passed down generations. We, we just had a freedom session uh, somewhat recently where uh, it was just a struggle. It was kind of like a high school wrestling match. It was like we're just trying to get uh, a grip on this issue here and this this uh, person we were praying for. We weren't. We just weren't really getting anywhere. And all of a sudden, just out of the blue, this person said, "Well, yeah, I'm, I sh maybe I should have mentioned my dad was a Mason and like a whatever super high and in, in the Masonic, yeah, something like that." And at that moment, it was like the lights came on. We totally get what's going on here. The, in case you're wondering, the word occult in Latin literally means secret or secretive. And so anything done in secret, Freemasonry is known as a secret society. Uh, and so that gives you a flavor of the occult influence behind it. There are 33 degrees of Masonic involvement. And as you work up the ranks, you can become a 33rd degree Freemason in which you become a grand master or a teacher, a leader of the Masonic temple. Uh, if you were to read as I've done those 33 degrees of involvement, there are vows and curses that you literally speak over your life and your family if you were to leave the Masonic or think that you are calling down death and curses upon your family, upon your wife. That's how dark it is. Most people just don't have the knowledge or the awareness. Of they're, they're just family traditions. My dad was a Mason, so I become a Mason, but we don't do the research and the homework behind it to find out what it really involves. Well, good. I was going to say, just at the very core, you talked about worldview uh, different. There is a different worldview concerning God mixed in with Freemasonry. 
which is at the core of then of everything they believe. And in their view, God is deistic. He is the watchmaker who, who sits back, he creates it, and he watches. When what Christianity teaches at its very core is that God is a relational God and is calling us into a relationship with him. So right there, just the very core, there's a clear distinction between the two. Yeah, and I would just say anything that requires your allegiance to anything other than the kingdom of Christ, I mean, uh, no, there's <laughs> just a hard pass. Doesn't matter if it's politics, doesn't matter if, whatever it is. If it's claiming, you know, your allegiance, no. Uh, we have a couple other good, okay. I have a couple other. Uh, Y'all got a couple more minutes? Questions, you good? All right. Everyone okay? All right. Okay, good. Uh, this one's kind of two part because it's two questions at once, but someone was asking about the history of Halloween and then another person was asking about how to practically then um, you live in that tension as a church. Like, do we hand out candy? I mean, that was we, the question I was about to ask. So oh, <laughs> there you go. Great minds. No, um, obviously, we just yeah. had a bunch of kids in costumes today. So we, we kind of get where we land on some of that. But yeah, history of Halloween. And then can the church speak into that? What, what's the tension? Redeem it. That, that sort of thing. If you want so, just brief history about the uh, about Halloween. It was an old uh, Celtic festival originally called Samhain. It was kind of celebrated the end of the harvest. This is back in pagan Celtic times, uh, the first few centuries AD. And then as the church began to expand throughout the UK, Wales, England, Ireland, this the Christians began to try to redeem the holiday in some redemptive type of way. And it became known as All Souls Day or All Saints Day, which is now celebrated in the Catholic Church on November 1. So the evening before was called All Hallows Eve or All Souls Eve. And it was, it was the way where they would pray for the souls of the dead, of those who had been deceased. So Christians began to try to be redemptive in its approach, missionally engaging the culture, removing some of the spiritually dark pagan parts of it and trying to Christianize it of sorts, and there were traditions where Christians would go from home to home of the richer people in the community offering to pray for the souls of their dead in, res in response for treats. And so the, the rich homes would hand out treats, trick-or-treating, and it's amazing when you dig into the history of this, okay? So is trick-or-treating intrinsically bad? No, we don't believe so. But, but from our perspective, and I think this is your church perspective too, it's the, the glorification of evil, the promotion of evil, the witches and warlocks and wizards and ghosts and, and all of these things is what we don't want to promote at Halloween. But can we use it as a connection point with our community, with those who don't know Jesus? Absolutely. And I think still today, 2,000 years later, we're trying to redeem the holiday somehow, some way. Yeah. Thoughts on that? Well, yeah, that's just what I, again, in doing the research, we're like, literally the name Halloween comes from the fact that the church was trying to fix this pagan celebration, like as a redemptive purpose. And so and, uh, this is just personal opinion. The idea that we would be stepping into that legacy, again, getting away from the spiritual darkness and bringing light and allowing God's glory to shine through it. I mean, I'm just of the opinion that God can redeem absolutely anything, any darkness, yeah. you know? And so, yeah, that's, I, th I just think the history is fascinating that with All Saints Day now leading into that. So I, I agree. There's Man, go meet some neighbors, in my opinion. And I leave you with one last principle uh, on all that, and it's from Samuel. And, you know, it's the statement we've heard many times where he reminds us that we look on the outside, but God looks at the heart. What does your heart say about who you are and what you believe? That's ultimately the tension you have to wrestle with because this is between you and God. But what is your heart saying? It's a heart issue. And it can be, we can be real quick to point out the, the obvious things and what we see, but God looks at the heart, and you've got to ask yourself, wrestle with, pray about, is my heart aligned with the heartbeat of God, or am I out on my own doing my own thing? That's ultimately the question we, uh, we end in that. Anything else, uh, team? They've been an amazing team, and I know it, uh, it took a lot to get them up here to do that. Would you thank, especially our friends from the Quad Cities, yes. uh, Wellsprings of Freedom? Pastor Ben, yeah. I've turned over. Yeah. Man. Thank you guys so much. Um, we hope our prayer was that as we dive into this conversation, it wouldn't just be, you know, what are our thoughts on Halloween? But our prayer really was that it would be edifying and encouraging to the church. Um, for me, you know, I really, my prayer is that these conversations can really bring to light, like, just the question, is there anything, any way that I'm entertaining spiritual darkness in my own life? Is there any way that I'm participating in things that I just know 
aren't of God. Um, my prayer for this church is that as we discuss together as believers in Christ, that we would put unity above all else. Jesus' prayer for us is that we would be one. And so as we engage, as we discourse, I know there's a variety of different opinions on this matter, even represented in this room, but isn't that the point that the church can come together in, with the purpose of seeking Christ in accordance with our own conscience and our accordance to the strength of our faith, we can come together as one body under the banner of Christ who is victorious over all darkness. Isn't that the hope of the church? Isn't that what we do? And so my prayer is not that, you know, you would leave here feeling agitated because you heard something that, you know, maybe sparked your interest or, or frustrated you. My prayer is that you would leave here with a dedication in your heart to follow Christ, no matter what it is he's calling you to do, not do, celebrate, or avoid. Romans 16, Paul writes, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. But I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. So our prayer is that we would continue to strive together to reject things that cause division, strive towards Christ as one body, as one church. May we be a blessing to our community. May we have a redemptive presence everywhere we go as believers in Christ, whether it's our workplaces, whether it's the doctor's office, whether it's in our family gatherings, whether it's Halloween, may we be a redemptive presence to the people around us. May we lead not with condemnation and judgment um, and not entertaining real spiritual darkness, things like bitterness and frustration and unforgiveness, cynicism, the things that can eat away at our soul, but may we instead lead with love and compassion, just as Christ would do. That's our call, to go into dark places, to be a city on a hill, be a lamp on a stand for the lost world around.